Hello, and welcome to our continuing podcast series, Turning the Tide, Saving the Chesapeake Bay. I'm Will Baker. I'm president of the Chesapeake Bay Foundation, and I'm really pleased to say we have Greg Mella, uh, architect supreme, green architect supreme, CBF's architect for our Merrill Center headquarters building and for our new Brock Center down in Hampton Roads, Virginia. Welcome, Greg. It's great to talk to you, Will. Thanks for having me. Greg uh, lives in Washington, D.C. He's worked all over the Bay Watershed. He's, he's got a house. Well, I guess you'd call it a house. It's 135 square feet up on the Shenandoah River in Virginia. Greg loves to uh, hike on the Appalachian Trail. He's an ardent bicyclist. And boy, Greg, you, you've really gotten bitten by the green building bug. When, when, when did it all start? Um, I think it started when I was born because I just <laughs> always enjoyed nature, being outside. Um, that's why I love my place out on the, uh, on the Shenandoah in West Virginia. And to me, I love sustainable design buildings because they felt really connected to their place. There was this commitment towards protecting the environment, which was something I was always passionate about. But it really started with the Merrill Center. Um, that was my first opportunity to understand how architecture can work in harmony with its environment. And from there, it's just been a career of wonderful opportunities working on green buildings. Okay, I want to I want to drill in for a minute on the Merrill Center, but before and then really spend most of our time on the newest building, this Brock Environmental Center. But before we do that, is it really 135 square feet? It is. It's amazing how little you need. Um, for one, when you're in a beautiful setting, you know, I'm not going to spend all my time inside. Um, I'm really only in there to sleep um, and to uh, protect myself if it's raining. But I don't mind 135 square feet when I have 3.5 acres of beautiful land on the Shenandoah River. Well, I can't wait to see it. I was up uh, canoeing on the Shenandoah River about uh, three or four weeks ago. It's it's one of the most spectacular rivers on the bay in the Bay Watershed. So, Greg, I guess we cut the ribbon about 15 years ago for the Merrill Environmental Center, CBF's headquarters building in Annapolis. It was the first lead platinum building in the world. And of course, you were the architect. Tell us a little bit about that process and what what's lead also? Well, it comes from a time when people really didn't know what lead was. And I was a lot younger, 15 years ago. It was really my first project where I got to take on more of a role designing and um, coming up with the details for it. And during that process, we identified this thing called the LEAD rating system. It stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. At the time, it was a pilot program for the U.S. Green Building Council looking to come up with a certification system that quantifies sustainable design. And for us and for the foundation, it was great because it understood holistically what sustainable design was. The focus at that time had been on energy efficiency, and that certainly was very important. But LEED was revolutionary in that it embraced things like water quality and stormwater management and habitat and materials and health. And these were all concurrent goals for the foundation and for Smith Group when we were designing the building. So it was a perfect marriage between client and mission and certification. So naturally, we pushed it as far as we could 
And when we got the LEAD Platinum Award, we're like, that's great. We we had no idea that LEAD would grow on to be this program with millions of square feet of buildings certified over the past 15 years. And really, the Merrill Center was cemented as a pioneering project because it was the first project to achieve LEAD Platinum. You know, I'm not sure I mentioned uh, at the beginning, did I, that you're a VP at the Smith Group, and the Smith Group is a national, if not international, architecture firm headquartered in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken. We're headquartered in Detroit, although the headquarter is a little bit arbitrary at this point. Um, We practice all over the nation, and we do have an office in Shanghai, so we're an international firm. We're also an architecture and engineering firm, which is really important because we believe to get to these super-efficient, resource-conserving solutions, you need this really strong integration between architecture and engineering. And that was our approach for both Merrill Center and the Brock Center. One last point on the Merrill Center before we get to the Brock Center. And and you mentioned this, but I'd like to emphasize it. The importance of the whole site as opposed to just the building. We have often said that we wanted to make the Merrill Center in as invisible to the bay as possible. And and by that we meant that it really would, and the site itself would have very little, if any, uh, noticeable impact on the water in terms of runoff or any other any other impact. Could could you talk about that a little bit and how, how you and, and the company achieved it? Sure. Well, stormwater is one of those things which um, if you rethink, you can create these much more sustainable solutions. So rather than seeing it as a waste product that you have to manage and treat um, to protect the bay, the first thing we did is saw it as a resource. We collected rainwater from the Merrill Center's roofs, held it in those iconic cisterns that you see as soon as you arrive at the Merrill Center, and reuse it for virtually all of the interior water functions um, except drinking. And um, that's the first step in managing uh, stormwater. But then we used inventive solutions of its day, things like permeable paving and rain gardens to um, let the rainwater infiltrate, um, recreating the way the site would have functioned as an ecosystem before it was ever developed. Um, And that's all wonderful and important stuff and was certainly a driver of the design. But the other thing that's worth noting about the site design at the Merrill Center is just like the building can be a teaching tool, um, enhancing people's understanding of the environment and resource conservation, the site is as well. And that's one of the things that's most thrilling about the Merrill Center is seeing students come there every day and learning about the, the various ecosystems that shape and impact the health of the bay. So um, that was uh, definitely a holistic approach between both building and its site. And I, I believe I'm accurate in saying since, but both at the time of the construction, but then since then, we have done an enormous job of planting all sorts of different native plants, um, putting in various pastures, uh, warm season grasses, et cetera, et cetera. It's a, it's a spectacular site. It's a great place to come and work. And, uh, that's one of the things that that really gets me up in the morning when I'm when I am able to come to the Merrill Center. Um, but you mentioned something that we can't do here at the Merrill Center. That's a great segue into the Brock Environmental Center. The the Brock Environmental Center is 
is smaller than the Merrill Center by about a third. It's on the Lynn Haven River near the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay, really where Virginia meets the Chesapeake in the Hampton Roads area, specifically Virginia Beach. And one of the things you were able to achieve, Greg, you and the team, that we never could do here at Merrill Center, even though we tried, was get permission to drink the rainwater. Tell us a little bit about that and then start to describe more about the Brock Environmental Center and how it has, uh, how, the, how the technology of green building has evolved in the last 15 years and how some of those attributes have been incorporated into the Brock Center. Sure. Well, I think, you know, as a transition, there's a great similarity between the Merrill Center and the Brock Center in that we had the exact same set of goals for both projects. We wanted to create the most environmentally sensitive, environmentally friendly building possible. I think the difference between the Merrill Center and the Brock Center is our definition of what was possible really, really grew over the 15 years. And that's a product of um, more people embracing sustainability, but also technology improvements that really make uh, pushing it to net zero energy, net zero water, net zero waste possible. So we quickly aligned um, our goal for the project uh, for Brock to be the Living Building Challenge. And this is a brand new program that's pioneering. There are only six Living Building Challenge certified projects in the world. And the Living Building Challenge became for Brock a lot what the lead rating system became for the Merrill, uh, Merrill Center. And um, it was extremely aspirational, really pushing teams to achieve things like net zero water, recognizing that no project's done that um, federal standards before. And they, they realized it's a challenge. That's why it's called the Living Building Challenge. But they want teams to advocate for these goals and push it as far as we can. So when we started designing the Brock Center, we met with the Virginia Department of Public Health and the Office of Drinking Water. We found out that um, these goals would require the foundation to uh, become a public waterworks if we wanted to drink rainwater. And um, we understood all the regulatory challenges. And I think this is where a lot of teams stopped. But what was wonderful about the Brock Center is we said, okay, let's, let's push it forward. Let's see how far we can go. And ultimately, the Brock became a very small but public waterworks, and water, uh, rainwater is treated to federal standards for drinking. And as a result, we are truly net zero water. All of the water use in Brock, whether it's for drinking, showering, washing your hands, is coming from collected, harvested, and filtered rainwater. And that's a, an amazing accomplishment. It's the um, first project to do this. And we hope that many will follow. Um, the great thing about being the first is you kind of break down these barriers and you create these examples that show others that these things are possible. Um, it's a lot easier to be the second. And the net, the net zero water means drinking the rainwater. And I can tell you, it's delicious. Uh, I was just down last week and uh, we had about 100 and, 100 and some people for a big luncheon there, the, actually it was the Zone 7 of the Garden Club of America held their annual meeting there. And uh, the folks were amazed that they were drinking re recycled rainwater. There, there, there's no difference. In fact, if anything, it's, it's better than ever. Yeah, it's some of the cleanest, purest water you'll ever drink. <laughs> and I'll never forget, on November 13, 2014, 
we got the approval to drink rainwater, and I still have that letter. It's not framed, but it's carefully placed on my desk. First and only uh, commercial building in the United States, uh, as I understand it, and it's, it's in Virginia. That's a great accomplishment. Let's hit on a couple of the other attributes of the building. Talk a little bit about the energy systems. Um, I was down there just as the the nor'easter was starting, and boy, I tell you, the wind turbines were humming. Uh, we were looking at the uh, at, at the gauges. Yeah, it's that's an exciting thing. The um, wind turbines have been producing. Um, as much as 250 kilowatt hours of energy each day uh, over the past two weeks. Um, and it's just part of the overall scheme of the building. And I'm really passionate about energy efficiency, um, not only because I want to prevent greenhouse gas emissions and uh, climate change, but because the solutions that minimize energy use, things like daylighting, natural ventilation, um, these things really just make the spaces not only energy efficient, but warm, rich, inviting, um, really comfortable. And um, that was our approach to try to harness as much as natural resources as we can and minimize our dependence on energy. Um, we drove the energy use down for the Brock Center to about 70% less than what a typical building would consume, all the while making it really connected with its place. So the building uses about 98% less energy uh, for lighting than a typical building, for instance. There really isn't a day when you couldn't just be comfortable working in the center um, just using natural light. Um, and then that remaining energy use, we met with really efficient systems. We have uh, geothermal heat pumps in the project, which use the Earth's stable temperature to help with heating and cooling. And then that remaining energy use that the systems do require was meant using renewables. And you already noted the wind turbines. We have two 10 kW wind turbines and then about a 45 kilowatt photovoltaic array on the center's roof. And it's all working really beautifully. The center's, um, we've been tracking the energy performance of the center uh, since it opened. And to date, we've actually produced 89% more energy than the building consumes. So we're way beyond net zero. We're talking about net positive. We're talking about enhancing the amount of renewable energy in the grid within the region. Yeah, I, re I remember when our staff showed me the first electric bill, $17, and it's been $17 ever since. And I said, well, if we're producing more energy than we're using, why is it $17? Well, those are the fees that you have to pay every month anyway, whether you're using electricity or not. But it's a fabulous, fabulous system. You can't get any cheaper than $17. That's as low as we <laughs> yeah, go. That's as low as it goes. <laughs> yep. And, you know, you mentioned uh, how energy efficient it is and, and how critical that is to the overall system. I think it was Amory Lovins of the Rocky Mountain Institute who coined the term negawatts, the watts you'll never use, which are just as important as generating electricity from alternative sources. Anything you don't have to use just means less solar, less geothermal, less uh, wind. So that's that's a key part of the overall system. Definitely, and that's the most cost-effective way of getting to net zero, maximizing first your megawatts, then maximizing your kilowatts. Yeah, I always used to, to, to chafe when uh, there's been so much debate in this country about energy efficiency and energy independence. 
But so rarely was the conservation of energy ever used or discussed as one of the ways to achieve energy independence. So uh, the Brock Center is a great, a great teaching tool. We could, we could continue on about the systems, but we don't want to give the listeners everything here because I, I want to encourage them at the end, encourage you who, who are listening to come to our website and, and learn more. There's so much more. One of the fascinating things, though, Greg, is, is the number of people. Our objective in building this building is not just to do to walk the talk ourselves, but to be have a teaching tool. And I've uh, been told that in the first 10 months of the building, although we estimated that we might have 5,000 visitors, we've had over 20,000 visitors who've come to the Brock Environmental Center to see it, to learn from it, to study it, and to take some ideas home. Give us a couple That's of amazing. the yeah, give us a couple of the other ideas that are in there that that people can use, and I'm thinking of some of the renew, renewed use of existing materials that might have otherwise gone to the landfill. Well, that's the great thing about both the Merrill Center and the Brock Center. It's not only did we create super green buildings, but we've created models and teaching tools where people can come and learn about these things. And they're fun. I mean, the use of salvage materials at the Brock Center is really, I mean, wonderful. It certainly minimizes the amount of waste going to landfills and the amount of virgin materials that we're consuming. But it also really enriches the design and creates a story and creates something that people are enamored with. For instance, all of the flooring in the Brock Center is made from salvaged wood. The majority of the flooring is coming from an old gym floor, from a high school gym. And it's great when people who grew up in the area and come to the Brock Center say, oh, yeah, I used to, to do basketball practice on this floor some 20 years ago, and now they get to see it at the Brock Center reimagined. Um, so these things really become fun elements in the building, and we really pushed it as far as you can. All of the doors, all of the casings around the window and the trim, all the flooring, most of the plumbing fixtures, um, little things like fire extinguisher cabinets, granite tops, they're coming from salvage sources, and it really is charming. These things have a patina to them that make them quite beautiful, uh, while at the same time, you're minimizing your impact on the earth. I tell you, it's um, it's an amazing thing every time I'm there. And um, what I keep hearing from people, and, and Greg, this is really a, a credit to you, is that it's not only a, a technological wonder in terms of both high-tech and, and very, very low-tech, but it's an outstandingly beautiful building. And we hear that all the time from the neighbors, from the residents. We've had such a wonderful cooperative partnership with the government of Virginia Beach, the city government, uh, the uh, broader citizenry, the neighbors uh, who use the building and love the building. And there's one other element to the Brock Environmental Center, which is a, a great success. And the property where it's located it's on what is now 110 plus acres of city land, open space available to the public. And that land had been slated for development. 1,100 units, two big towers, 
uh, it would have developed the last open space in Virginia Beach right there on the Lynn Haven River, which is one of the great oyster growing areas of the Chesapeake Bay. And that land is now all protected in perpetuity, thanks to a number of partners and especially the city of Virginia Beach who helped to buy it and protect it. So that's another part of the story. Yeah, and it was daunting because it's such a beautiful site. You can't help but fall in love with it, just like the community around it fell in love with. So when we started the project, we were talking about creating an invisible building because we didn't want to do anything that was going to compromise what makes that site so beautiful. And I think the resulting design wasn't so much about creating an invisible building, but really using what's beautiful about that site the curving forms, the palette of materials, the colors, the shape, and embracing that within the design, connecting people to that site, and hopefully enriching the experience of being on that site. I remember when you first started showing us some of the early designs and using the term biophilia, and we talked about the living building challenge and a wave in the water, and I said, Good Lord, Greg has really gone a little off the deep end here. And lo and behold, it all pulled together into a building that uh, is, is very, very functional. One of our partners in the building, the, our, our, our partner in the building, uh, Lynn Haven River now as well, a local conservation organization. So it's, it's really turned to serve many, uh, many great um, benefits for the community. Well, Greg, we could go on and on and on. I, I, I thank you so much. Um, the building is already winning uh, awards. One will be announced at, is it the Green Building uh, annual meeting in Washington? Yeah, at the Green Build Conference, the USGBC conference each year. It'll be in Washington this year, and um, we're going to pick up an award this year. Well, it'll be the first uh, of, of many. Chesapeake Bay Foundation started getting interested in green buildings many, many years ago when we put a Clivus Multrum composting toilet at our first outdoor environmental education center in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. And uh, uh, for someone who's been here a while, it's just it, it's so exciting to see how it's evolved. I'd, I'd urge our listeners to go to our website, cbf.org. Uh, search the Brock Environmental Center and learn more about it. See if there are elements of that building that you might be able to use in your home. Uh, certainly energy efficiency is something anybody can do. And um, we urge you uh, to come visit as well if you're in the Hampton Roads area. We do regular tours uh, and would love to have uh, anyone there. It's, uh, you can sign up for those on our website as well. Greg, anything else you'd like to mention? I, I'm, I'm so grateful for your time this morning. Well, I'm just so grateful to have collaborated with Chesapeake Bay Foundation on both of these projects. They're, without a doubt, the highlights of my career, um, not only because of the projects that resulted, but because of the contributions they're making to the world. Um, I love that the Foundation and Smith Group were really all about making other people know about these projects. Your uh, recent TED Talk was inspiring, and I'm sure it's reaching out to a really broad audience of people who hadn't previously considered creating these net zero projects. And I hope to see an amazing next generation of sustainable design come from the leadership that the foundation took at the Brock Center. <laughs> you mentioned my TED Talk. That, that was in April. It was a TEDx uh, in Richmond. There were about 1,500 or 2,000 people in the audience. And 
first thing I put up was a big slide that said, save the bay, and everybody started cheering. The absolute fear and nervousness that I had immediately evaporated when the applause started with the save the bay on the slide, and then it, it, it went on from there. So thanks. That's also on the website uh, if anybody wants to look at it. Uh, Greg, with just uh, a couple of seconds left, uh, what's what's the next big project? And please, don't ask us to do another one. Uh, at least in the immediate future, we're still um, we're still recovering from all the work and uh, effort on this last one. But what, what's next in your world? Well, I'm continuing to work on projects within the Chesapeake Bay watershed. I've um, spent my career pretty much creating sustainable buildings within the watershed. We're working on um, a MGM Casino right on the Anacostia River, and that project is harvesting rainwater, reusing it for toilet flushing, managing all stormwater on site, and somehow managing, and this is a slightly bigger project than the Brock Center <laughs> by maybe a factor of a thousand, um, but even big buildings can be sustainable too. A green casino, not only in terms of what's inside, but also in terms of how it is with the environment. Way to go, Greg. All right. Well, That's thank great. you. Thank you very much. Will Baker, president of Chesapeake Bay Foundation with Greg Mella, VP at the Smith Group, as I said, green architect uh, uh, extraordinaire. Thanks so much. And um, please uh, tune in to future podcasts. We do them every two weeks, and we look forward to talking to you in another two weeks. So thanks very much. Thank you.